It's great to have Jared and Vanessa Bayless here on The Antidote. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I've got to say that when I hear about your hometown, Cheyenne, Wyoming, I only think about country music and rodeos. Does the hard rock of Bayless fit into that scene? Um, <laughs> you'd actually be surprised. Quite well. <laughs> yeah, it actually does pretty well. Um, it really works out well because I'm a pastor at a church here in town and they actually really like uh, harder music. So that actually works out pretty well. Um, so you get a few more fans from that because our music at church is a little bit harder, I suppose. So that's kind of cool. Um, but it's actually really good. I think it's just a stereotype for a reason uh, for Frontier <laughs> Days. Hey, Post Malone came here this last uh, year. So that actually helped out a lot, not only being rodeos and uh, cowboys. <laughs> okay, now, with the two of you being married, I want to hear about your romance. Was it music that drew you together? Um, Actually, yeah, it was. Uh, a mutual friend introduced us because we both loved to write music of our own. And um, speaking frankly, I think I pursued him more so in the beginning, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yep, she couldn't she couldn't resist me. So, well. what can you do, you know? <laughs> I went way back and checked into your early music when you went just uh -huh. by Jared Bayless. Uh-huh. <laughs> the entitled Silence release was very different from the music of Bayless. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry you found that. Yeah. Come on, there's nothing wrong with that release. Uh, no, it was good. That was my first record label that I was on. Uh, it was before I was married. And um, so I had a whole bunch of guest people and a guy who said, hey, I'm starting a record label and I'm going to pay for your album. And I said, okay. And he found a demo I had. And so he just had it produced by um, a good friend of mine now. Um, so I learned a lot actually about producing from that album. So it's not quite the sound that I was going for, but it was the sound I was at that time and what I was doing on my own and it attracted somebody else. And then it was a stepping stone to the next album, the next album. So I have a lot of fond memories of it. It just wasn't the final product of probably who I was yet. It's funny how many artists I speak with who are actually embarrassed by their original release. It's not that case with you, is it? <laughs> uh I don't know if I'm embarrassed. I get I I have really fond memories of it. It's one of those where it was a time of my life when it was just you remember so much and I was going through a lot of different things and it was my first album that I was doing and a first time in a studio and you and you, I don't know. I, I'm not embarrassed by it at all. No, I have a lot of good memories and like I put a lot of work and a lot of poetic stuff into that album. It just wasn't really my genre and it it was great. It was a great stepping stone, a great launching point, I suppose for me. Ah, here comes a big question for you, Vanessa. If Jared was still doing that original style of music, would you still have married him? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> no, you know, he was still pretty much doing some of the more rap stuff when we first met, so it didn't deter me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what I was doing, but I was figuring out my sound, I suppose. How's that? So, I don't know. It was okay. It, it's, a, it's a good album. I don't listen to it often, but I don't shy away from it. But I also don't point people to it. Let's say that. <laughs> 2012 was when you brought in that switch in style with the Within My Reach album. Yeah. It opens with a really powerful song called Venom. It carries one line that says, 
you're my intoxicating demise. Is that figurative or actual? Well, it's, it's, I guess it's a little bit of both, I suppose. That was us. Like we really, that's when we really started doing a ministry, like a more target audience ministry, rather than just like, here's what's on my heart. We were like, maybe we shouldn't just do what's on our heart, which there's nothing wrong with that. But we noticed a lot of bands weren't asking other people's stories and like, maybe we should start telling other people's stories. And that's our ministry for that song that was about addiction and like, and not necessarily even in alcohol or drugs, but it was a lot of like with, with sin, you know, like we all have something that is our venom. And so it's just this intoxicating demise that we, we just keep going back to. And so for us, it was like, we met a lot of people who had struggled and conquered addiction or were still in addiction. And so that was kind of it of like, you're the, like that addiction was the venom of, of their choice. So we were kind of telling a little bit of story of somebody else's story, plus our story of what we always struggle with. And we always seem to go back to. And so it ends with kind of the, um, you're nothing without my choice. So it's kind of like, I have the choice to walk away from this. And I used to just pick you and choose you all the time and let you destroy me. And now I'm choosing not to. So that's kind of where the, the premise of Venom came from. Creating a song that way is certainly out of the norm. Here you are, you're drawing another person's story and building it into a statement that Bayless is making on stage. That's pretty intimate. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to do that. We wanted to do something what other people weren't doing. I mean, that's kind of what you need to do to be able to stand out. And and we actually realized that we we loved that more than just telling our own stories because you kind of run out of stories to tell, like, unless you're in a season or a mood and like we have lives that are we're very privileged and we're very blessed and so we realize like we don't have a lot of the testimonies that a lot of people have but we do have the chance to ask other people like like what is going on in your life and like tell us about your victories or your or what you're struggling with there was a small little venue that we played in the middle of nowhere of Kansas and a guy had shown up and said he listened to us for an hour and a half to sing, and he, he came up to the stage and said, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not even supposed to be here. My mom died two years ago. I'm all by myself in this little town. And he starts crying and says, I, I just need to talk to somebody. I don't even know if I believe in God. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, dude, I'm not even off the stage. Just give me one second to step off the stage. I didn't have time to tear down our stuff. And I sat there and just talked with the guy about life. And, uh, and, he, and I said, can I pray for you? And he said, nobody's ever prayed for me in my life. And I remember thinking like, now this is why I do the music and this is why we do what we do because I want to tell his story. Like, what is it like to be abandoned and you've lost your mom and you're alone in this small town and you don't know what you're doing and you showed up at this concert and you don't know why you're there and you don't even know if you believe what the people who said it. But, you know, we sang about something for an hour and a half and he, for some reason, wanted to tell us his life story. And it's like, man, I realize we're, we're preachers like that. You won't want to sit in a pew and listen to somebody, but you'll come listen to us and trust us. So we have a lot of weight to carry, and there's a lot on our shoulders, but we embraced it. Within my reach, that album also carried that same theme on the song called The Raven. Can you share about that? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'll let Vanessa kind of like chime in a little bit on on this if she wants to. But um, the Raven was an idea that I had had for quite a while. It's just one of those that was just kind of in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do. Um, I was kind of really into some poetry or just kind of the poetry type of of style. And I remember thinking, and I can't remember why, but I just did the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Raven. And I remember just that nevermore, nevermore. 
um, I thought, man, what would be kind of interesting to do the reverse Raven to where the Raven is, is talking to Satan, but tell it in a poetic way. And I thought, well, what if there are some characters who are addressing this Raven? And it was just something that I thought, but the chorus is like, nevermore. And you just keep saying, nevermore will your lies destroy my heart. And talk about all this of nevermore, but can we do it in a poetic way? And so I thought, man, if I'm just walking through this alley or if I'm having this raven that's over me and addressing me and accusing me. And then I thought, well, what if it's a um, from a female's perspective, you know, like, what if the raven is accusing this girl of the lifestyle that she leads and the, and the tears that she's crying and she's trying to get away and then to turn and say, nevermore, will your lies destroy my heart. And so we just kind of turned into this really poetic reverse Edgar Allan Poe type of thing. Um, it's, it's actually a song that I really, really love. Um, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of passion for that song. And a lot of people have commented on that. Maybe they know some of it. Maybe it means something different to them. But that's kind of the basic premise behind it. Many Christian bands are very obvious with the intention of the song, like what the song meaning is really all about. That's not always the case with Bayless. Yeah, definitely. And that's on purpose, too, because, I mean, I, I kind of view it on if you're going to be ministry-minded, like, I don't want to be just entertaining Christians, um, which kind of happens sometimes. And for people who are like, I'm open to this, but like, don't jam it down my throat. And I know what you believe. So we kind of thought, well, music is the only thing that I feel like goes straight to the soul and just bypasses the mind without a checkpoint. And so it can mean all kinds of different things to people. So we've often asked ourselves, like, well, what are we putting into people's souls directly? And that's why we don't even remember a lot of the lyrics to some of these songs that you're like, wow, I never knew how bad that song was till I saw the lyrics. And like, I just thought it was okay. And it just <laughs> went, it just went right to my soul. Like, I just didn't even think about it. I didn't even have a checkpoint for it, unless it was super obvious. So I thought, well, you know, what are some ways that we could just let music be whatever it is to them and to somebody else? And so we've kind of just did that on purpose to lead people there to say, like, well, what is it that they're referring to? Now, on the backside of that, if they come find out who we are, we need to be intentional about what we believe and let them know. But to them, they might go, well, this song meant this to me, and I know that you meant it that way, and that's fine, but ultimately a seed was planted. And so that's kind of why we lead it in a, a poetic way and kind of letting people, let it identify with them what it needs to, but letting them eventually find out what it means to us and hope that maybe they see it in a different vein or Maybe God worked in a, a really cool way um, that we didn't even mean the, the song to be and how it was written or intended. You've already touched on this a little bit, but maybe we could just flush this out. You know, the music scene, both mainstream and Christian, it's stuffed full of bands. What does it take to make your band stand out? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's what a lot of bands or most bands are trying to figure out if you're not already, have you quote unquote made it? Um, and so for us, I feel like for a while, the male-female tandem was kind of difficult because um, it was either pick one or don't pick one. And I think at the time when we started, we really were pushing Vanessa out front more because it was more towards the time when Evanescence was pretty big and Vanessa's drawn some comparisons in her voice to that. So we kind of ran with that. And then I was kind of this accented, highlighted person in the in the background. And well, now it's become so saturated and it's just so different. There's so much stuff out there that... Um, we found a lot of success with my declaration and that was me mostly. And so, um, then we used that platform to kind of reintroduce Vanessa as kind of this tandem more where I was more out front, but there was Vanessa. So it's kind of this like, wait, there's a guy, now there's a girl, now there's a guy like, 
something now is more interesting to people because everybody's so used to one lead singer. And so we kind of both do different things. So it's, it's actually worked really well to our advantage because it catches people off guard. And, you know, you'll draw some comparisons to like, oh, you sound like, like a European band or maybe European metal. And so we'll have a lot of decent, um, you know, like European fans, which is cool. And it's awesome in the UK. Um, but we also, I don't know, we also just feel like we, we try to tell people stories. Like we said, we feel like that stands out. We also feel like our style is just a little different. It's a little more theatrical. And we try to throw little wrenches in here and there as to when, um, when people might not expect something, uh, a lot more layers to the music. So you don't expect something or you didn't hear it the first time or third time or whatever. So I feel like that's the way we're trying to stand out. It's taken a little while for people to really latch onto that and be okay with it. But ultimately, I think it's catching people off guard. You can't pinpoint us. You can say we sound maybe like some of that and some of that and some of that. But like nobody's been able to say, what is your sound? And we just say, we're, we're Bayless. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Isn't that what everybody wants? You can't put us in a box. And that's good. That's a good start. Ah, but you left out something important. You both have incredible voices. Vanessa's is pristinely beautiful, and yours, Jared, is so powerful. Should one of those voices dominate the music? Right, yeah, I think we just try to listen to what the song needs and not try to force it. And so there's times where Vanessa's like, I think you should sing this part. I just don't think it's adding the... And there's other times where I'm like, I think you sound beautiful on this, and I just don't think it's it's meant for me or I need to sing a harmony to this because you just sound great on this. And I think we just, we just go where the music needs to go. And I think that's the best way we can do what we do. After Within My Reach, you kept your music on the fast track, releasing the Sabotage EP just one year later. What was the rush? <laughs> uh, we actually had a really crazy opportunity. It was great. Um, we reached out to John Steingart of Hawk Nelson on Twitter of all places and said, Hey, we're, we would you be willing to produce us? Like we were kind of at this point where I was doing my, my own production and on within my reach. So I'm always like, Oh man, I listened to that album and think I want to remix that someday, but it was great. I grant another great learning experience. Um, and so we wanted just to take that next step up and John replied back and said, yeah, let's, uh, like I checked out your music, um, hit me up and let's do it. If you can do a Kickstarter. So we did. And we hurried and made <laughs> five songs, got his uh, approval, and then we flew to Nashville, and he produced it, and the drummer from Hawk Nelson at that time played on it, and we did a really quick thing and a Kickstarter. So that was the rush, was like, wow, I I didn't think you'd say yes. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't know that you cared. So um, so that was a great connection. It was like, we I didn't expect that. I don't think we were even planning that. It was just like, hey, you never know. Let's just see what he says. And sure enough, he said yes. So that was the rush to it. And so we hurried and we got a great opportunity and it led to some more open doors. John Steingard and Hawk Nelson is totally different from what Bayless is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't, as again, I didn't think he'd like us, Like, but he was doing producing. So I just thought, I'll just take a shot in the dark. And it turned out he wanted to because it was a challenge for him. He'd never done anything like that. And he liked our music. He liked the sound. He thought it was different. Um, so he took us on. So that was great. He even screamed on a couple of those songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then he lectured on it. And, you know, so like it was, it was great. Very memorable time for us. Sabotage closes with a gorgeous but really sad song called Beautiful Scars. Part of the song says, Just a silhouette to remember you, and your last words to me, I know you're truly alive in the souls you awoke. 
What's the story behind the song? Oh, man, there's a lot behind that song. I'll try to consolidate it. Um, Actually, that song was the last one that we did right before we went to Nashville. And we were sending John all these different ideas. And we sent him one. And he's like, yeah, if you got something else, maybe let's do a different song. So we had a couple more we were going to send him. Well, in, in that, we got a phone call from some friends. We had just moved at that point from Kansas. And uh, one of our friends said that their 13-year-old son had just been killed in a car accident. And um, so it was, it was just devastating for us. We had just moved, and we were nine hours away, and like we couldn't do anything. We were, just felt helpless. And they eventually said to us, we would be honored if you would write a poem about him about his life. And it was just ironic that I just lost a friend of mine, um, maybe a couple weeks before that. And I had started on the very first line, which is, I thought we had more time. We were never afraid. We were so blind before these sorrows came. And that was what I had written about, um, a lady that I meant a lot to me in my life. And so I thought, well, I'll start that. That's just kind of came to me. And then this all happened. And I said, well, how about this? I have already started this song. And, um, it actually means a lot to me, but I only have two lines written, but I would be honored to kind of combine this and write a song about his story. And so that silhouette part is actually uh, about the story of him. He remembers the last thing was dropping his son off at the movie theaters and seeing his silhouette before he went into the movie theater. And then he drove off. And that was the last memory of his son. And so by the time everything had happened and he had passed away, it was devastating for the community. Um, there were so many people that came to his funeral, and the, his life had touched so many people that there were so many stories coming out of it, and just his testimony and who he was, that's where it came from. Like you, He awoke a lot of souls, and um, he only remembers that silhouette of him driving away from his son for the last time. So that also coincides with the um, he was a rose in a winter's cloak, um, and that, that's how we felt. We were in a winter's cloak, but he was this rose inside of it. And that's how the song title came about, Beautiful Scars? Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of just like, it was so painful, but there were so many beautiful memories they had of him. And so I said, you know, sometimes we think scars are all bad, but a lot of times they remind us of where we've healed. And so I remember thinking that they have beautiful scars attached to him. And so we, we sent that off to them and uh, the lyrics, and he, they hadn't heard it yet. And I said, are these lyrics okay with you? And, and they said, yes, we framed it and we've shared it as a family and we can't wait to listen to it. So it was a very meaningful song before we went down there to actually record the music. Um, and it was nerve wracking because it was like, this is for this family, these friends, and they've asked us to honor their son and his life. And I, you know, I'd lost a friend of mine as well. So it, it's kind of one of those, I need to not be so focused on the negative and remember the great times and the great memories and the lasting uh, impact that they had on our lives. In 2019, Bayless dropped your EP, Ready Aim. You usually hear the word fire at the end of that statement, but it's not there. You got to explain. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, that's a um, one of our song titles. And, um, you know, we're talking more so about um, being the proactive believer. You know, we, we talk about light and darkness and um, how, you know, if we're talking about fighting an enemy, 
were putting a, a bullseye on us. And so we shouldn't be surprised if the enemy fires shots. But we also shouldn't just be sitting around and saying, oh, this hurts, this hurts. You know, what do I do? We need to be proactive. We need to go after the enemy. So we talk about darkness a lot in the literal sense and that we are fighting it. And so um, we are in the process of kind of storyboarding out also a, a music video for this song. Just because the song itself is just very visual, we'd like to end it with a challenge to not just believers, but people who are maybe ready to challenge their own belief. Um, you know, are you ready to, you know, go out and fight for what you believe in? What do you believe in? And I think it's not hard for a lot of people to believe in good and evil. And so I think um, what we're trying to do is challenge people to challenge themselves. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to be proactive? Are you going to go out and seek the light? Or are you going to continue to sit in darkness? Renny Aim includes what I think is the best song Bayless has ever done. No More Suffering. I get the intention of the song, but one line keeps being repeated, and it throws me. One day, there'll be rest for me. Aren't the two of you too young to be looking forward to that? <laughs> Remember, we have a almost toddler, so... <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, um... So, you know, we as believers, um, to us, our, our work is never going to be done. You know, yeah, we could talk about, you know, a literal sense of like retirement, things like that. But when it comes to our mission and what we value the most, you know, that is never going to stop. We are never going to stop pursuing um, the light and pursuing others as well um, to give hope to others as well. And so for us, it's a bittersweet thing because... We love what we do. We are passionate about what we do. But do we become weary? Absolutely. Do we see the suffering in this world? And does it weigh on us? Absolutely. But, you know, that's why we are challenged to continue doing what we're doing. It also, um, that song, it still keeps going with the theme of we're telling other people's stories. This song is, again, it's unfortunate, but it's it's one of our good friends in the story of the loss of their daughter. Um they adopted her from the Ukraine, and she was abandoned in an in a orphanage, and they brought her back. She had a facial uh, issue, and they were left her for dead over there because they thought something was wrong with her. They adopted her. They were going to have surgery when she was old enough. That time came. Um, they were confident in everything, and then the doctor came out and said, I don't know what happened. I do this hundreds of times, but I, I, I nicked a vein, and she's uh, had a stroke, and she's had a heart attack. And ultimately, she passed away. And so um, there was a lot of hurt, obviously, but there was a lot of forgiveness that our friends showed in that moment with that doctor. And so we were floored by that, that they would say, we forgive you. You know, like, like most people would blame them, sue them, do all kinds of things. And they said, we forgive you because, I mean, we're just out of our control. Now, they are, they struggled mightily with losing a child and should we have done the surgery. But... Part of that song is where that came from was like, we were just so weary for them, but it was like, you know, it was kind of a combination of one day there will be no more suffering. One day there will be rest for them, but it won't be today because that's not, that's just not what's going to happen. They will still suffer, but one day we will all not suffer anymore. You know, I was going to ask about the future plans of Bayless, but I'm guessing that the final song on Ready Aim gives a clue. It's the instrumental intermission meaning that this is just a pause before the next release? 
You are the first person yeah. to actually get that. Touche. Yeah. Everybody's like, um, I think you did that wrong. Isn't it supposed to be in the middle? <laughs> and so we're like, it's like a little hint like that, you know, that we're not done. Like it's the middle of something. <laughs> so uh, kudos to you. I'm glad you got, you figured it out. Like uh, a girl who helped us with uh, artwork and she's a bass player with us. Um, she was like, she's super artistic and she's like, I love that. That's like this subtle hint that like people have to get that you're not done. And I love doing movie scores and stuff like that. So I just wanted to do that and kind of drop a little hint. But you're right. Yes, that that would mean we're still working on on more stuff. And um, we're putting out as much as we can. I mean, we are parents, so we are limited on time. But we are just trying to go where opportunities are and continue to write and build on momentum. And then Ready Aim has done really well. So we're very blessed. Before you go, I want to bring up one more song. My declaration speaks about leading courageously and leaving a legacy. What will that legacy be for Bayless? <laughs> well, that song was actually for a, a book that uh, was written, and they asked me to write a song for it for my heart pastor. So that's where a lot of that came from. But the legacy for us, I suppose, would be, I think, I think it's kind of just what wraps up like what we've been saying throughout this whole thing that we just we want to tell other people's stories because I feel like everybody wants to tell their story and and that's fine and I think that's good but I also feel like other people are like can anybody hear me can anybody hear my story and does anybody want to tell my story and so we know that there are some people who just need to be heard and that's how we're going to impact people's lives is that we want to be able to listen to other people and to tell their stories because their story is not the last story and there's a, their story isn't the last one and it won't be the last one because life never ends and it doesn't stop. So we want to not only tell our own stories, but we also want to, I mean, that's kind of what Ready Aim is, is like, is gathering together an army of people who all share the same struggles, the same thing, and we're going to march together, all flawed and broken together, and really just go after what the darkness has done to us, and we're going to take it back. Um, it doesn't mean we're all strong warriors, but as united as one, we are. And so I think that's the legacy of who we are, is that we can never stop. It will always continue. People's stories and life and bad things and great things will continue to happen and life will never stop. So there's always an opportunity to tell stories and to bring hope to people. Absolutely. I've got to thank you, too, for coming to The Antidote for this talk. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. We're so honored. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>